Welcome to 5 at 8. I'm Mark Overman, and I'm here with Linda Carlisle on Friday, November 10th, 2023. Here's the day's top news. In this episode, we will talk about the current state of the oil market, the intensifying air warfare in Ukraine, the upcoming Singles Day shopping event in China, Klarna's first quarterly profit, and Russia's commitment to increasing its LNG production despite facing U.S. sanctions. Story number one. The oil market is currently experiencing its weakest state since June, with prices and spreads dropping significantly, as reported by Reuters. Front-month Brent futures prices have decreased by 18% since the end of September, while the six-month spread has fallen from $9.33 to $1.30 per barrel. Inflation-adjusted prices have also declined to $1.84 per barrel in November. Some experts attribute the drop in prices to rising interest rates and a worsening global economic outlook. Despite U.S. crude and condensates output surpassing pre-pandemic records in August, the changes in production and consumption do not fully explain the rapid decline in prices. The sudden increase and subsequent collapse in futures prices suggest a short-covering rally and a squeeze on deliverable supplies. The draining of deliverable stocks caused the WTI futures contract to enter a near-record backwardation by the end of September. Hedge funds and money managers were forced to cut bearish short positions, leading to a self-sustaining rise in prices. However, prices and spreads have since collapsed, even though U.S. crude inventories have remained relatively stable. The recent unwinding of the squeeze and reduction of conflict premium have returned the market to a more neutral state. Overall, the market is currently neither bullish nor bearish due to production restraint by Saudi Arabia and its OPEC Plus partners. Offset by continued growth in non-OPEC output and a downgraded outlook for global growth. It's been a wild ride on the oil market roller coaster, hasn't it, Linda? The oil market's weakest since late June. That's some serious stuff. What do you make of this situation? The oil market has always been sensitive to global economic conditions and geopolitical events. The recent collapse in oil prices is attributed to rising interest rates and a deteriorating global economic outlook, which reduces the demand for crude oil. Additionally, U.S. crude output surpassed pre-pandemic levels in August, which is also pressuring prices. You got that right, Linda. But I'm a bit puzzled. Even though we've seen some changes in production and consumption recently, they can't alone explain this drastic drop in prices, can they? That's a thoughtful observation, Mark. You're correct. The scale and speed of this drop in oil prices suggests that it's not just about changes in production and consumption. The sharp rise and sudden collapse in futures prices could indicate a short covering rally and a squeeze on deliverable supplies that has since unwound. So, you're saying it's more about the futures market playing out? And, uh, this risk of violence in the Middle East that we've been hearing about, has that had any impact? Yes, Mark. The end of short covering and unwinding of the squeeze was initially masked by the surge of violence in the Middle East and the potential risks it posed to crude oil production. But as that risk of escalation seems to have subsided, the unwinding has become more apparent, amplifying the downward pressure on nearby futures prices. It's a complex interplay of factors. Ah, I see. So, looking forward, considering the current state of things, do we still have a reason to be bullish about oil prices? Well, Mark. At this point, the market seems to have reverted to a neutral state from the strongly bullish conditions of September. The production restraints by Saudi Arabia and its OPEC as partners are being offset by continued growth in non-OPEC output and a downgraded outlook for global growth. 
So it's a rather balanced situation at the moment. Story number two. Air warfare intensifies in Ukraine as both Russia and Ukraine engage in missile strikes to break the stalemate on the ground, as reported by Al Jazeera. Russia demonstrates its air superiority by launching a large number of drones and missiles, targeting critical infrastructure and civilian areas in Ukraine. Ukraine also achieves significant successes in the air war, damaging a Russian corvette and hitting a command post. Despite the air activity, there is little movement on the ground, leading to discussions of a stalemate. Ukraine emphasizes the importance of gaining control of the air to break the deadlock. In diplomatic news, the EU shows support for Ukraine by considering inviting the country to start EU membership talks in December. Additionally, European leaders are reportedly considering allowing frozen Russian assets to be used to assist Ukraine, as stated by Al Jazeera. There's no denying that air power and technology have completely transformed the way we fight wars today. Just look at what's happening in Ukraine. The use of missiles and drones has essentially put a pause on ground warfare and shifted the focus to the skies. It's a tactical game-changer. I think, Mark, it's important to remember that while these advancements in technology have indeed changed the face of warfare, they also carry significant risks. As we've seen in Ukraine, the use of drones and missiles has led to the destruction of critical infrastructure and civilian homes. There's a human cost to this kind of warfare that we cannot ignore. I agree that there's a human cost, but you have to consider the strategic advantage that this technology provides. Ukraine has been able to damage a state-of-the-art Russian corvette and hit a command post, all thanks to their air power. In a conflict where they're outmatched in terms of ground forces, that's a significant boost. Yes, but let's also not forget the stalemate this kind of warfare can lead to. Both sides have been trading blows in the air, but it seems like they're just canceling each other out. It's a bit reminiscent of the trench warfare in the First World War, where both sides were dug in and there was little movement on the ground. That's an interesting comparison, Linda. But remember, this is also about more than just the military aspect. There are big geopolitical implications here. Ukraine's successful use of air power and its resistance against Russia could very well bolster its case for EU membership. True, Mark. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. Being able to effectively use air power is one thing, but there are many other factors that the EU will consider before extending an invitation to Ukraine. It's a complex issue, and we can't simply reduce it to who has the better drones or missiles. Story number three. Singles Day, the world's biggest shopping event, takes place in China each year on November 11th. Originally a holiday to celebrate being single, the event has evolved into a weeks-long online shopping festival. Last year, the total value of goods sold during Singles Day reached 1.15 trillion yuan, $157.97 billion, surpassing the sales of Cyber Week in the U.S. While growth has been slowing, industry experts expect a rebound this year due to the recovering economy and strong livestream sales. Chinese e-commerce platforms such as Alibaba, JD.com, and Pinduoduo all participate in the event. Chinese consumers are expected to continue purchasing essential items, supplements, vitamins, and pet care products, as well as lifestyle-focused products like athletic wear and sports equipment. American companies like Nike, Lululemon, Estee Lauder, and Procter & Amp Gamble stand to benefit from the event. However, some global companies have taken a cautious stance this year. According to Reuters, the source of this news, 
Singles Day is anticipated to see a resurgence in sales this year. Tell you, Linda, it's just astounding how China's Singles Day, or Double Eleven, has grown to be the world's largest online shopping event. I mean, last year, they racked up sales worth more than four times what U.S. shoppers spent during the entire Cyber Week. That's a heck of a lot of retail power. And it's fascinating how this event has evolved from a day for singles to treat themselves into a worldwide shopping festival. It's a testament, not just to the power of e-commerce, but also to the effectiveness of marketing strategies that tap into societal trends and individual aspirations. Right on the money, Linda. And let's not forget the role of technology here. The success of Singles Day wouldn't have been possible without the e-commerce platforms like Alibaba, JD.com, Kama, and Pinduoduo. These platforms have revolutionized the retail industry, and they continue to push the envelope with things like live stream sales. Yes, and these events also provide us with a glimpse into changing consumption patterns. For instance, last year, Chinese consumers spent more on essentials, supplements, vitamins, and pet care products. This year, lifestyle-focused products like athletic wear and sports equipment are expected to be in demand. It's a reflection of the shifting priorities of consumers. It's like a mirror to society, eh? Now, what's also interesting is how major global companies are leveraging these events. Take Nike, for example. Their demand in Greater China grew by mid-teens during Double Eleven. But the flip side is, companies are also having to navigate the uncertainties related to these events. This year, several global companies like L'Oreal and Estee Lauder have taken a cautious stance. And the COVID-19 pandemic has only added to these uncertainties. Last year, strict COVID-19 curbs in China impacted sales. But this year, experts are expecting a rebound. It shows the resilience of the online retail sector in the face of global crises. And it's not just about recovery. It's about finding new opportunities and adapting to new realities. Couldn't have said it better myself, Linda. And looking ahead, I can't help but wonder what the future holds for these shopping events. With technology advancing at a rapid pace and consumer behaviors constantly evolving, who knows what Singles Day or Black Friday might look like in a few years? That's a thought-provoking point, Mark. And it's not just about the future of these shopping events, but also their impact on global retail practices and consumer culture. As these events continue to grow and spread across borders, they are likely to shape the way we shop and consume in ways we can't even imagine yet. Story number four. Swedish Buy Now Pay Later Group Klarna has reported its first quarterly profit since 2019, making a pre-tax profit of $12 million in Q3 2022, as reported by Reuters. The company's revenue also increased by 30% year-on-year to $6 billion. Klarna is considering an initial public offering, IPO, but faces the challenge of convincing public market investors to value it as a financial technology company rather than a bank. The company has initiated a legal entity restructuring to set up a holding company in the UK, a step towards a potential IPO, although no decision has been made regarding timing or venue. Klarna raised $800 million in July 2022 at a valuation of $6.7 billion. Should Klarna, this Swedish buy-now-pay-later company, be considered a financial tech firm or a bank? This seems to be the million or perhaps billion-dollar question as it gears up for its IPO. Indeed, it's a crucial question, Mark. And it's not just about labels, it impacts Klarna's valuation, too. 
See, fintech companies often enjoy higher valuations than traditional banks due to their scalability and growth potential. However, if we look at Klarna's operation model, it's not entirely a typical fintech company. Right, I was reading that unlike a firm, which uses wholesale funding for loans, Klarna relies heavily on customer deposits. That's a pretty bank-like operation, isn't it? Absolutely. In fact, Klarna has about $8 billion of customer deposits. And that makes it seem more like a bank than a capital-light fintech company. It also complicates the valuation process. Financial institutions usually value banks based on their book value. And if we apply this to Klarna, it would mean a much lower valuation than its current expectation. So, the challenge for Klarna's CEO, Sebastian Simiatkowski, is to convince potential investors that Klarna is more like a lender and less like a bank, right? But uh, how does he plan to do it? Well, it's a tough call, Mark. On one hand, he has the venture capital backers who believe in Klarna's fintech status. But on the other hand, the public market investors might be skeptical due to the large amount of deposits on Klarna's balance sheet. It's a delicate balancing act, and the outcome could significantly impact Klarna's future. Interesting. It seems like this might be a broader issue in the fintech industry. As technology continues to blur the lines between traditional banking services and innovative financial solutions, more companies might find themselves in this limbo. What do you think, Linda? It's a fascinating time in the financial world. As fintech companies like Klarna continue to push the boundaries, it will force us to rethink how we classify and value these businesses. It's a challenge, sure, but it's also an opportunity for innovation and growth. Story number five. Russia remains committed to increasing its liquefied natural gas, LNG, production to 100 million tons per year, despite facing U.S. sanctions. According to Reuters, the sanctions targeted a major Russian entity involved in the Arctic LNG-2 project, which aims to boost Russia's LNG production. The country sees LNG infrastructure development as a priority in the energy sector. Russia aims to account for 20% of the global LNG market by 2035, up from its current 8%. The U.S. is working with partner countries on the sanctions as a January deadline approaches for winding down transactions with the Arctic LNG-2 project. How about that, Linda? Russia's not backing down on their LNG production plans, even with the U.S. breathing down their neck with sanctions. This is a classic example of a country sticking to its guns for the sake of economic growth and energy independence. I respect that kind of determination, you know? I see where you're coming from, Mark. But isn't it concerning that Russia is so determined to proceed with the Arctic LNG-2 project, regardless of the sanctions and potential diplomatic fallout? This could lead to further tension and instability in the already strained international relations. And let's not forget the environmental implications of such massive energy projects. Well, sure, Linda, I get that. The environmental impact is a serious concern. But look at it this way. LNG is a cleaner energy source compared to coal or oil. Isn't it better for a country to shift towards cleaner energy, even if it's not the cleanest option out there? And as for the diplomatic tensions, well, that's just the nature of international politics, isn't it? That's one way to look at it, Mark. But the transition to cleaner energy should not come at the expense of international peace and cooperation. The U.S. sanctions are not just arbitrary punishments. They're meant to enforce international norms and rules. If countries can simply ignore these sanctions without consequence, what does that say about the effectiveness and authority of international law? Linda, you're absolutely right. 
The sanctions are indeed meant to enforce international norms. But let's also remember that these norms and rules were primarily set by the major powers. It's a bit rich to expect smaller or less influential countries to follow them to the letter, especially when they feel that their economic survival is at stake. On the flip side, shouldn't we also question the right of any one country to dictate the energy policies of another? Hmm. I see your point, Mark. But I still believe that international cooperation and adherence to agreed-upon norms are crucial for global stability. It's a complex issue, no doubt. That's it for this morning. Have a great day and see you all tomorrow. Five at Eight is researched, written, and performed by artificial intelligence. For more information, visit botcaster.ai.